Hello, lovelies. I'm going on tour. For the first three Sundays in September, I am going to be doing three pop-up shops so that you have the opportunity to try on clothes in person, which is probably the most frequent request that I get, get great pieces before hug, and really honestly just come and hang out together. So here's the full schedule. Sunday, September 4th, I will be in Asia's Kyle in Kew Garden Hills. On Sunday, September 11th, I'll be in Hand Picked in Muncie. And on Sunday, September 18th, I'll be in D-Rama in Flatbush. The store hours those days vary a little bit from store to store. I'm always starting at 11 a.m. And then you can check the site for more info on when I'll be there until, but it's basically all day. So if you've ever been nervous about shopping online, even with free shipping and returns, pop-ups are a great opportunity to come see what everyone is raving about. See my, if I do say so myself, gorgeous designs, feel the top quality fabrics, and try on a dress or outfit to get a true idea of what the pieces will actually look like on you. Plus, I'll be there to style you to perfection for this holiday season. So I cannot wait to shop with all of you. You can see the full schedule, including hours and addresses and everything, at Impact Fashion NYC. Dot com. Who I have on this show is very important to me. You may have noticed that I don't feature coaches, and that's intentional. I believe that our sources for pretty much any information are very important. And since coach is an unregulated title, anyone can call themselves a coach, I don't consider it a qualification. Um, and that's just one example of the way that I am super careful about the guests that I have on this show. And also on this show, I only discuss medical topics with doctors or other trained medical professionals. You know, the people who have gone to the appropriate school and have the student debt to prove it. Today's topic is sort of medical adjacent, and it is for that reason that I'm letting you know that while my guest has done some pretty extensive research, we go into the specifics in our conversation. She is not a doctor or otherwise certified. So please treat this exactly as I do, like wisdom from an older sister and not as medical advice. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rick Gitzwitz, and on today's show, I talk with my sister about her birth experiences. She shares how a bad experience with her first birth led her to explore the world of birthing and got her to hypnobirthing, what she learned about the verbiage of birth, sort of becoming a doula, and her increasingly better birth stories. Charney Barak remembers more of my life than I do because she is my oldest sister. And let me tell you, older sisters are damn useful to have during your first pregnancy and birth. I leaned on both of mine during that time in my life, which led to lots of interesting discussions considering different approaches we took. When Charney casually noted that hypnobirthing might make for a good podcast topic, I had to say yes because my older sister said so. And I'm actually really excited to ask this question because for the first time I actually know the answer. Can you tell everyone what you were like as a little kid? What I was like as a little kid, um, I think I was a goody-goody. Yes. Pretty, you know, I think I was pretty straightforward. I don't know if you would ask mommy the same question, if she would say that. But yeah, I was a goody-goody. I was academic, um, did my work. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, no, you were. You 100% were. We should say at this, I mean, it's if it's not incredibly obvious, um, you also are my oldest sister. I have two older sisters, and you are the first one. We're six years apart, I think, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are six years older than I am. Um, 
And we are having this conversation because, you know, as everybody knows now, over the winter, I gave birth. Um, I had a very different experience than you did um, overall. Um, I had right. a Right. I had a scheduled C-section um, and I had, and I really, I had like a fantastic experience overall. I, I really liked it. Um, and in the lead up to it, there was a lot of back and forth about whether or not we would actually go ahead with that C-section. It was, it was something that was really up in the air, basically until like about a week and a half before I gave birth. And in the lead up to it, um, you were, as I think all good older sisters are, a, a really good resource for me because, you know, you have a, a bunch of children of your own and have um, and have gone through this in lots of different variations, lots of different times. And you wanted to come on the show and share your experiences with birth, um, specifically with hypnobirthing and 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 I'm fascinated by this, even though this is not anything at all that I like. There's a part of me that's like, this is heebie-jeebie nonsense, but that's okay because you're In that case, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. <laughs> right, exactly. And we spoke about this. Like we spoke about it. I was like, Charlie, this is a little bit too touchy-feely for me. And you were like, I know, but maybe just this. And um, and yeah, so I'm gonna turn the table over to you. Um, I'd love if can you start off by um, you know, sharing what you're what, what was your first birth like? Like what, what was that experience like and how did that affect how you approached your later births? Okay, so great question because the whole way that I got into hypnobirthing was as a result, you know, the lead up of that was as a result of my previous experiences. And I think it transitions nicely with the first question you asked me about us growing up because I was definitely a goody goody. I was definitely a rule follower and I think that a lot of that played into my experience to some extent. So I would say that I got married probably in like the middle of the pack of my friends, um, got married young, which is normal in our community. But I did have friends who had already been married for some time and a number of them had already had children. So I didn't go into pregnancy and ultimately birth totally blind. I basically was going on whatever information my friends chose to share with me. So my impression of birth was, you know, you get to your due date and you go to the hospital and you have the baby. Now I took childbirth classes. I did my duty. I knew some medical terms. I knew some anatomy, biological terms, and I pretty much thought that I went into my first birth knowing what to expect, knowing what was going to happen. I'll add, I'm pretty sure my husband had the same impression. He just thought, okay, you go into labor in whatever form that takes, whether it's contractions or your water breaks, and then you go to the hospital and you have the baby. And both of us were kind of in for a pretty rude awakening with our first birth experience. So... I've since learned that a lot of the process surrounding the way a woman births can be hereditary, meaning that if the women in your family, your mother, your grandmother, even the extended women in your family have a predisposition towards, you know, whatever it is, long labors or being overdue or needing C-sections or any of these things, 
it can be present for you. Now, this is not a database. This is totally anecdotal, but that was, you know, kind of something that I had in the back of my head going into my first birth experience, which was that many women in my family and extended family have had one and multiple C-sections. So I always knew it was a possibility, but I didn't really think that through to the end, what that might look like for myself. Um, in addition to being overdue and having long labors. So that was in the back of my mind, but didn't really know how it was going to go because it was the first time we were doing it. So I was told by my doctor at about three or four days overdue with my first pregnancy that I was going to be induced. So again, I'm a rule follower. The doctor's telling you, you need to be induced. Okay, I guess I'll be induced. I didn't have any um, knowledge or data to ask the follow-up questions that I now know need to be asked. So went in, got induced. A hospital birth induction typically will involve um, artificial hormones, Pitocin among them, Pitocin causes strong contractions. It is the um, artificial form of the hormone oxytocin, which is what your body on its own when it's during labor is producing. So since it's artificial, it's medicinal manufactured, then the body is um, forced to have those contractions. And people say, oh, Pitocin labor, it's so painful. And then Pitocin leads you to get an epidural, which I did do. And the way that my experience with epidural was that the epidural did not take evenly in my body. And I'll clarify what that means. Um, basically one side of my body was numb and the other side of my body was not. And I remember distinctly telling my husband, I can be in all pain or I can be in no pain, but I can't be in half pain. It was a very, very strange physical feeling to feel one side of my body and not the other side of the, my body. And that affected the way that my labor ultimately progressed. It affected the fact that the baby didn't descend down. And it affected the fact that even once I started pushing, nothing was really happening. At that point, I had been in labor like close to 24 hours at least. Um, I just want to preface this by saying that my oldest son is almost 11. So I'm trying to recall very detailed events from 11 years ago, but I had been in labor for quite a long time at that point. And my most distinct memory after a couple of hours of pushing and having this very, very strange physical sensation of only feeling half my body, my most distinct memory was my doctor left the room and I heard the sounds of birth, a woman yelling loudly from the room next door to me. Two minutes later, he comes back into my room, claps his hands and goes, well, you're my last one. How are we finishing this? It was dinner time. It was 7 p.m. at night. And I just felt so like paralyzed in that moment of, oh my gosh, this needs to happen right now because the doctor said so. The doctor said, I'm his last patient and we, we need to get this done. We need to finish this. And he said to me, I will let you push 
a certain amount of time. He gave me 10 or 15 minutes and then we're going in for a C-section. So what happened in that moment was that he, this doctor created a sense of emergency, a sense of medical emergency when medically no emergency existed. So as like a, you were fine, the baby was fine. You could have kept pushing for another three days. A hundred percent. So I wasn't being um, supported in the way that I now know a woman needs to be supported in birth. I was, and again, this is all hindsight. I was in the hospital preferred position of horizontal on the bed. I was having an uncomfortable Pitocin and epidural. I was pushing all the wrong ways in all the wrong directions. I was not allowed to rest to allow the baby to descend naturally. And again, all these things I'm listing are things that I've learned since then. Instead, I was told by the authority in the room, who was the doctor, that since he had a certain timetable that he wanted to complete my birth during, I had to hurry up, move along. Otherwise, he's going to do what's most convenient for him, which at the time was a C-section. And that's what happened. And, um, you know, they rolled me in for the C-section and I had my beautiful baby boy who was totally healthy and wonderful. And, and that was it. Like, I just remember feeling that a C-section was done to me, not that I had given birth. And that psychology of thinking about it that way stuck with me for a long time happened to be this doctor who didn't have clearly a very good bedside manner at all was not my main doctor that I had been seeing throughout my pregnancy. It was one of his partners. So when I went back for my postpartum checkup to my regular doctor, and I told him this whole thing happens. And I said this line, cause it took me time to figure out that this is what it was. I said, he created a sense of emergency where there was none. And he gave me a C-section because he wanted to go to dinner. And this doctor you know, he has to back up his partner. He apologized for his bedside manner. And he said, you know, I don't know that if I would have been there, I would have dealt with it in any different of a way, but I would have been nicer about it. That was like kind of the answer that he gave me, which like wasn't a real answer. So I knew that for my next kid, I was not going to be using this doctor. Um, I will add that, you know, the whole having a C-section and then attempting to nurse and having difficulty nursing and all of that, um, it, it was hard. I'm, I'm really only speaking from my personal experience, not that any one propaganda on either side of the argument should like come after me about it. I'm literally just saying my own personal experience was that what they say about that um, C-section experience affecting nursing for me personally held true and I what did do they say about time. c-sections in nursing i know nothing about nursing <laughs> okay so <laughs> like um, you, you know me i didn't even go there correct no and honestly i think that i think that having made that decision from the outset that you weren't going to nurse actually was a better as opposed to going through the should i try should i do it can i do it so there is data to suggest that women who have C-sections, because they don't have the initial contact with the baby right after the surgery, because they have to physically recover from the surgery and just the mechanics of the way a C-section works, it's an operating room. 
and you know the baby is being delivered via c-section maybe they'll bring the baby over to your head for a minute to kiss them and then they're taking them over to be weighed and to do all their stuff because you're kind of like splayed open on an operating table and you're not really doing anything so that um skin to skin experience and the physical bonding time that a woman is able to have with the baby after a natural birth, it's very different than the C-section experience. And there is data to suggest that it can, it affects the women's, uh, the woman's hormones and therefore affects um, the ease of nursing. So C-section okay. moms sometimes have so. more trouble nursing. I spent quite yeah. a bit of time with some frozen cauliflower on my boobs. So Because <laughs> you had too much milk, right? There's that too. There's also that. Um, but, and, and oh, again, there's so much that's involved with hormones and even just the stress hormones that I was having at that time um, because of the experience for sure played a factor. But for a while, I, I really had a hard time with nursing. I had a hard time... Um, any first time mom has a hard time because the whole thing is a learning curve, but going back to that, I did have friends who were married and already had children. And all I kept hearing from them was like, Oh yeah, nursing's the best thing. There's no bottles to clean and the baby's on a schedule and it's every three hours that it's great. And I thought they were from Mars. I'm like, I don't understand how you're saying this is easy. And you're saying they're on a schedule and, and all of these things that wasn't my experience. Now, looking back, my son really just, was hungry a lot and was cluster feeding and I never had a break and I did supplement with formula, which was great that that's an available option. And it did even out after a few months and he ended up being the baby that I nursed the longest. So none of this is, you know, indicative of any kind of permanent issue that a woman might have because of having a C-section or because of whatever their immediate postpartum experience is, you know, everything with time, can heal and can get better, but I do still strongly feel, and also comparing it to my later births, that the it's referred to as the chain of interventions, that the chain of interventions that occurred from the day that my doctor said, you're going to be induced because you're overdue, led to this ending point of just all of these negative experiences. And it took me a while to figure out, well, how far back does this go? How far back do I have to look to figure out where this went wrong for me? And I really got all the way back to when I was in the doctor's office, just a few days overdue. And they said, you're being induced because induction leads to Pitocin, leads to more pain, leads to needing an epidural, leads to, for me, a negative experience with epidural, which plenty of people have epidurals and they think it's the best thing since sliced bread. And then it just kind of was all downhill from there. So after that experience, and it took a while to just get out of the mental funk of what that did, I basically figured out that there is no way that this is how birth is supposed to be. It doesn't, it didn't make sense to me that in our culture, the Jewish religion, Orthodox women were having, you know, a nice size family, a large family, whatever large means for you, but, but valuing childbirth and valuing children. It didn't make sense to me that everyone around me was doing this 
and that this that their experience was like some version of my experience because you were like there's no way people having 10 kids are having this miserable experience they wouldn't be doing it exactly i'm like there's something is not adding up for me here this doesn't make sense and i i need to learn more about it i need to figure out why this is because i certainly don't want to go through that again but i want more kids so so like we need to figure this out and then two things happen the first thing that happened was that i started started hearing about doulas now I had some friends who had doulas at their births. I kind of laughed it off. I kind of saw it as like a formality, but also really like a luxury because doulas are expensive. Um, I'm like, okay, so what's the doula doing? Like giving you a back massage, telling you to go on the ball, telling you to roll over in bed. Like I really did not know what the purpose of a doula was, but I knew people had doulas. Okay, fine. That was one thing that happened. The second thing that happened was that a good friend of mine told me what sounded to me like the most craziest story I ever heard in my life. And she said that a close friend of hers labored at home until she was eight centimeters dilated and went to the hospital and had the baby within an hour. Now, granted, it wasn't her first child, which was part of the story, which I knew. And I said, what are you talking about? You can't stay home till you're eight centimeters dilated. You're going to be climbing the walls in pain. And she said, no, she does hypnobirthing. And I laughed out loud. I said, is that a thing? What is hypnobirthing? Like, you think of hypnosis, you are getting sleepy. You are falling into a black hole, whatever it is. And my friend said, I don't know what hypnobirthing is. I don't know so much about it. I just know that hypnobirthing and whatever she learned in her hypnobirthing classes allowed her to have this experience, to be able to stay home till she was eight centimeters dilated and she gave birth an hour later. So those two things. So I heard about doulas and I heard about hypnobirthing. So what I did was in preparation for, you know, a later birth, and I wasn't pregnant at the time. I just wanted to educate myself about this. I found a hypnobirthing class. It was in Brooklyn. It was twice a week. Um, in Brooklyn, I'm saying there was a commute involved. This was a commitment. Yeah, you so were living lady, in Queens at the time. I was living in Queens. So it was a twice a week commitment um, of an in-person hypnobirthing class. And I went into this course totally out of morbid curiosity based on this story that my friend had told me they're like what what am i missing the whole thing of what am i missing back to that point and i took this hypnobirthing class and i i could not believe that every single birthing woman does not have this knowledge it was so mind-blowing and it was so like obvious that this is such a great tool and such a great way for women to frame birth in their mind. I'm like, oh my, like, why does I like, I'm just, I want to tell everyone about this. So, I mean, I can go into the specifics of hypnobirthing or like touch on it a little bit, but the main thing with hypnobirthing and there are books and you can Google and the main, um, person who came up with the concept of hypnobirthing is Marie Mongan. Um, 
you can research that. You can Google everything that I'm going to say. But her whole premise of forming hypnobirthing is the premise that pregnancy and birth is not something that a woman should approach in a fear-based manner. Medically, there's no reason to. Physically, there's no reason to. A woman's body, a woman's reproductive organs were literally created to do this job. And a woman who is in a coma can give birth. It's a natural phenomenon that Western medicine has decided is something to be fearful about, is something to have medical intervention for, and for a regular, mainstream, healthy woman, healthy pregnancy, there is almost no reason for most of the interventions that have become standard today. Now, I feel like I have to say a disclaimer. I am all for Western medicine. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm probably the least crunchy granola person you will meet in your life. I can verify this. Thank you. But this piece, for some reason, has been pushed so far, the pendulum has been pushed so far to the medical side that it just needs to come back. So I'm all for medical intervention. I'm all for you know, surgeries if we need it and sonograms. And I think that sonograms in some cases are life-saving for mother and for baby and, and, and high-risk pregnancies. And all of these things are, the fact that these resources exist are great and wonderful for those that need them. But the majority of healthy women having healthy pregnancies do not need them. So hypnobirthing attempts to remove that fear and bring women back mindfully, psychologically, to the fact that your body is naturally able to do this, just don't get in its way. Just don't get in its way. Shut off the right side of your brain, which is your logical, scientific, mathematical side of your brain, and allow your more natural, I will even use the word animalistic, part of your brain to allow you to birth a baby, which is what you were naturally created to do. That's like my elevator pitch about hypnobirthing. Okay. So you learned all this between babies one and two. I started learning it between babies one and two. So that when I went into baby number two, my With a different doctor, we should note. With a different doctor, with a doula, and with a totally different mindset about my expectations. Because I walked into that doctor's office when I was pregnant with my second baby, and I said, hi, I'm having a VBAC. A VBAC is a vaginal birth after cesarean section. Now, I think it's become more accepting to allow it, um, but there are definitely doctors who will not allow VBACs. So I would encourage anyone who's had a C-session that would like to try for a VBAC to right at the outset, make sure that your doctor is on board with that. Um, I actually chose this doctor because he was recommended to me as someone who does VBACs and specializes in VBACs and had no problem with it. And and that was my experience. But the We should also that- note, by the way, that this was eight years ago. I Almost feel like VBACs nine. are much more common now 
Well, you know why V-backs are more common? Because C-sections are more common. Oh, maybe. (laughs) In 10 years, though, C-section rates have changed so much. I find that hard to believe. I cannot... I don't know the data on that, but I do know that they have been steadily increasing. And that's something that a pregnant woman should also look into the doctors and the hospitals C-section rate. But that aside, I walked into this new doctor's office and I said, hi, I'm pregnant and I'm having a VBAC. Are you going to help me do that? Or are you going to make it harder for me to do that? So having taken the hypnobirthing course and having gained more knowledge about what my body was supposed to be permitted and allowed to do without anyone getting in the way, um, I just felt much more prepared for my second birth. So what happened was with my daughter, I was due around the Jewish holidays in September, which is a very busy time of year. Uh, My doctor is also an Orthodox Jewish man. So it's a very busy time of year for everyone. I pretty much figured out at that point that I was probably going to be overdue and it was, I was probably going to be overdue with any of my pregnancies. So when you walk into the doctor's office and they give you a due date, I like just laugh. Like my most, all my kids really are like a full week to two weeks after whatever they decide their due date is. I literally can't think of anybody in her family who has ever given birth anywhere around the due date. We run late. Yeah. We just do. They're very cozy in there. I think mommy yeah. says we have deluxe accommodations. That's what Bobby says. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We build condominiums. There you go. So <laughs> yes, eventually the babies do have to come out, but I distinctly remember I'm close to my due date. It's a very busy time of year. It's around the Jewish holidays. And at when you're overdue, the doctor wants to check you more often and have you come in twice a week, which I was doing. And I was taking stress tests and everything was fine and wonderful. Um, on at my, one of my last appointments, when I was a couple of days overdue already, um, the doctor said, okay, the next time I want to see you is whatever it was a certain day, um, which was a longer stretch of time because there was holidays in the middle. And he said, when you leave the office today, after this appointment, he called it a dinner date. He said, we're just going to put something on the calendar just so we have a date. He meant of course, scheduling a C-section which I had no intention of doing. And I left his office without scheduling that appointment. So of course you did. (laughs) So Again, this is me, the rule follower. Okay. I figured I'm going to go into labor eventually. And if I don't, he'll find me. (laughs) So what happened was, um, I ended up going into labor naturally over the course of, um, the holiday of Sukkot, which has days that are observed as holidays and days that are observed Cholamite, it's referred to which as intermediate days, which are holidays, but are treated as weekdays. So I went into labor and went to the hospital. And for this birth, I had hired a doula. So I was much more comfortable in general with the fact that I, there was going to be someone in the room that even though I had gained a lot of knowledge up to that point was going to be more knowledgeable than me. Now, my doula, this is another thing about doulas, which I like. And I have um, applied this to other areas of my life as well. I have no problem not being the most knowledgeable or the smartest person in the room. I would so much rather have a doula with me who has attended hundreds of births and is much more likely to anticipate any situation that I might get into 
than just saying like, no, okay, I'll do it myself, whatever it is, when I've had up to that point had exactly one birth that didn't go the way I wanted. So that's just general life advice is surround yourself with people who in whatever area of knowledge that you seek to gain knowledge in, they are ahead of the ball game. So separate piece. So I have the doula, um, I'm in labor. I had taken the courses. I had read the books. I felt super prepared. I was taken aback by how much I felt like me and the hospital staff were working against each other. My knowledge from hypnobirthing and my knowledge from my dual to doula and my toolbox that I had amassed um, allowed me to navigate the situation of the hospital birth in a way that I didn't even imagine I would have to navigate. So the fact that the minute you walk into the hospital, they ask if you want an epidural. I knew I'm not against epidural. I knew that for me, the epidural was kind of the beginning of the end at my previous birth. And I wanted to try as long as possible to go without it. And I had set myself up for that. I had taken my hypnobirthing course and I had hired a doula and I was hopeful that I would be able to do it without an epidural, which spoiler alert, I ultimately did. Um, but the fact that all these things are just pushed on you and the scheduling aspect of it, the timetable aspect the, this isn't going fast enough for us. So let's give you more Pitocin. The, you, you've already been in labor for 24 hours. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter unless there is a true medical emergency present, which they will be checking for, you know, on the monitors and on your vitals and all of that. You gotta leave the birthing mother alone. Leave her alone. So I definitely encountered um, that in my second birth. And I had an amazing doula who, because of her, I was able to not get an epidural. And a beautiful hypnobirth where I was using all my tools from hypnobirthing. I was very mindful. I was not fearful. Um, I, When I speak to people about hypnobirthing, I refer to it as a toolbox. So... If you are needing to perform an important job or an important task, you're not going to go into that job or that task without the correct tools and without setting that yourself up for success. So I felt like all of the tools that hypnobirthing gave me, and there's a whole library of things you can do. There's certain things that spoke to me more than other things. There's certain things that to this day, I think, oh, that's quackery. No, I'm not going to do that one. That's just because it didn't work for me. But there's breathing exercises, there's visualizations, there's affirmations, there's audio tracks to listen to. There's, um, my favorite part of it was there's this whole piece about the verbiage, the words that we use surrounding birth, which are so harsh and are so, um, you know, again, uh, creating this fear around the experience. Water breaking, contractions, like it's harsh. It's harsh language. So hypnobirthing changes that. Um, so it's not called a contraction. It's called a wave. Now, some people might be listening to this and say, okay, really? Like you're going to call a contraction a wave? I would wave like to note that I did just hurt? roll my eyes. Okay. I did just so do that. I had the same reaction when I was learning this information. Like, 
come on, let's call a spade a spade. It's a contraction. You really think that if I call it a wave, it's not going to hurt? Well, let me tell you something. When you are in birthing mode, again, as much as possible, having shut off that scientific, logical right side of your brain, which you use to function most of the time, when you are, you know, for example, if you're listening to relaxing music or you're in that stage of consciousness right before you fall asleep, right? You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. You're lying in your bed. You're super comfortable. You're not asleep yet because you would still hear your kids in the background, but your fingers are kind of tingly and your toes are kind of tingly and you'll probably be asleep in like the next two minutes and you're super, super relaxed. That state, if you can achieve it, is how you can be during your entire labor. It's like this elevated consciousness. So Okay, so you have this experience with your second birth, which is much better than your first. You do end up having the VBAC. And is this when you started like taking the dual courses? Like oh, around? No, okay, so I'll get to that. So that came after. So I have the VBAC, um, I have the baby, and I'm like, over the moon. I'm like, okay, this is what now we're talking. Like, mm. this is how it's supposed to be. Now I get it. You know, everything about it, the post-birth euphoria, the feeling of success of having done it, um, the feeling of being supported, of having the doula, the feeling of the knowledge that hypnobirthing gave me. Um, so that was all wonderful and fine and dandy. Spoiler alert, she was also my hardest baby. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no guarantees in life. Um, she, yeah, just was my hardest baby. Okay. So God has after, a sense of humor. <laughs> I know. Right. After that experience with my second birth and having such a, having had such a positive experience with hypnobirthing and with the doula, I was like, okay, I want to keep looking into this. I want to, I want to know more there. I want to know even more. And I looked into actually becoming a doula. So when I, I found a course, um, Dona is the organization that certifies doulas, doulas of North America. Now you do not have to be a certified doula to be a doula. You could wake up in the morning and decide you want to be a doula. And if someone lets you come to their birth, then yay for you. But the fact that there was an availability to get a certification, um, was, you know, I, I, was positive for me. I liked the concept of that. So I looked into a Dona course. Most of the ones that I found were actually over weekends, which wouldn't work for me. And I found one in the city on three consecutive Sundays. It was a 30 hour course. So it was 10 hours a day, three Sundays in a row. And don't forget, I had two small children at the time. <laughs> so I, you know, I discussed it with my husband. This is something that I want to do. And you're going to have to block off three Sundays. And, and he was fine with it. And I did do it. I took the 30 hour doula certification course, which was a whole nother wealth of knowledge that I had never had the opportunity to learn keep in mind, I have two children, meaning there's, there's even more to learn, you know, about all of this and how to support a woman, um, while they're giving birth. And if I recall correctly, I fulfilled all of the pieces of the certification, except for the 
attendance at three live births. I was actually able to, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but I was, I was available as a doula for two of my friends via phone and texting. So at the time I hadn't totally figured out the mechanics of having a young family and having young kids and being that on call available at a moment's notice that uh, is required of a doula and shout out and kudos to anyone who's able to do that. And, you know, I know many doulas who have young families and they're able to do it. And I think it's amazing. It wasn't something that I had yet figured out at that point, but I did phone call and text message two of my friends um, during the entirety of their labor. I think the only two minutes that we stopped texting was when they were pushing. And I was able to support them, not physically, but mentally, emotionally, and um, move, help them deal with and move past uh, whatever was going on in their labor rooms at that time and help them navigate that, which is another thing that a doula does. Um, so I did do that, but I did not, I wasn't able to attend the required amount of live births in order to get the donor certification. And then I found that I was pregnant with my third. So that whole thing took a back seat, but I was again, even more knowledgeable and more prepared for this birth, which again, I went into thinking, you know, this will be a VBAC. This will be great. This will be wonderful. And my third was my best birth experience. Like no question. I had yet a different doctor who was a different doctor in the same practice. I stayed with that same practice. And for some reason, I asked him the following question. And for some reason he said, yes. And I don't know how the idea even popped into my head. I don't think this is something, you know, yet Rifi. So you'll find out now. I was in the late stages of labor. I was doing my hypnobirthing. I had my doula. Everything was going amazing. And I looked at the doctor and I said, can I deliver the baby? And he's like, what do you mean? You are delivering the baby. I said, no, can I like, can you like not do anything? Like, can I just deliver her? Can you like, tell me what to do? Like, is that a possibility? Like catch her. Catch her. Right. But like, I was basically asking the doctor to be as much hands off as he could possibly be, which I don't think most doctors would agree to. Yeah. That but sounds like an insurance and liability nightmare. No, but it, I don't think so. I think it's more of like, I think it's more common in a birthing center environment than in a hospital environment. Um, but he told me, sure. He said, push when you feel that you need to push. And he showed me, you know, where to position my hands and, and how to feel and whatnot. And he said, I'll just stay by the side of the bed and, you know, watch from down here and make sure everything is going okay. So I think it was as much of a hands-off birth that you could get in a hospital setting as, as, as possible. And I totally birthed her myself, which so was amazing. This is, this is where an interesting question occurs to me because a, a lot of times throughout this, you know, our whole conversation and in describing everything, you've been talking about feeling opposed to the hospital staffs, especially with births you know, in birth number two, that it was, you know, it felt like you were not working towards the same goal. Like they wanted one outcome and you wanted another. Did it ever occur to you to not give birth in a hospital? Yes, but my husband's a doctor. <laughs> 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 it's a very 
short answer. Um, so I thought that might be the answer. <laughs> absolutely occurred to me 100%. Um, I think that in learning more and more through each birth about the different options available, um, I probably would have done a birthing center with a midwife. I, home birth is personally where I would draw the line. And this is with knowing people personally who have had home births and everything was fine and dandy. I think that for me personally, that's where the risk pendulum swings too far in the other direction. So home birth for me is not something that, I mean, certainly my husband wouldn't be comfortable, but I don't think I would be comfortable with it. I would do a birthing center. Um, I haven't yet, but you know, it's something that, that I do keep in mind. Um, going back to the words you used with regards to like being against the hospital and not wanting the same outcome. It wasn't so much about the outcome. It was more about the experience, which was, I was so focused with my second birth on making sure that it was as much opposite of my first experience as possible that I was resistant to anything that came up during labor that was similar to my first birth. So any conversation about being on a time clock or moving things along or anything like that, I automatically was like, no, like, I don't, I don't care. I'll labor for another, whatever. Um, and it was against my nature because it required, frankly, a certain level of attitude to authority that my doula did help me navigate and a doula is not there to be against the hospital or against the doctor. A doula is there to guide the birthing woman and to help her make good decisions. Um, there's a tool that I used in, I don't think it came from the hypnobirthing course. I think it came from a different book that I read in general about mindfulness. And the acronym for it is Bran, I think I told you this before yeah, your- this was actually, I think the best piece of information that I got when okay. we were deciding, because like my experience with all of this, and I'll give like a super abridged version, was that throughout the entire pregnancy, not the entire, but like basically it became apparent at one point in the pregnancy that it would be pretty likely that I would end up having a C-section and there was one that was scheduled. And it was kind of like, we're putting this on the schedule so that the room is booked and then you can decide if you want to use it. The that, dinner date. That's the what dinner date. That's, that's exactly yeah. what it was. That dinner date, by the way, got moved like three times. And like I had told, I do recall. Yeah, it got moved a lot. And like we were busy keeping people updated. And it was like, so it's not this day. It's that day. It's going to be this day. Maybe it's then like the whole thing. Um, I think it got changed like even like two days before the time got changed or something like it was it got changed a lot. Um, and also, you know, you mentioned our family history, the fact that like we do have long labors and we tend to end up in C-sections was definitely something that was considered, like maybe just skip the labor part and do the C-section. Um, and we were going back and forth a lot about whether or not to go with that scheduled C-section about, you know, depending on all sorts of different things. And I remember having this very distinct feeling of, and I actually, I remember telling you this, I am being asked to make a huge medical decision with intense outcomes in either direction for like, not just me, you know, and 
and I have so little information. Like There's I know, no so, right. You don't know how to navigate it. Like I know I can't right. even really weigh, like, would I rather have a C-section or a vaginal birth? I don't really know. I don't really know what those two things are. So I can't really decide between. And when, and when we were talking about this before, where there was still that, where, where it was still in the decision-making process, um, you mentioned this acronym, it's BRAN. Okay. So and this I'm I found to be very helpful. It. So it's great. And honestly, I think it's, if anyone is dealing with any type of medical situation, birth aside, but if you're dealing with any kind of a medical situation um, where you are either the decision maker or you're making decisions with someone else, this is a great thing to remember. And it's easy to remember because of this acronym. The acronym is BRAND, B-R-A-N-N. There's two N's. It stands for benefits, risks, alternatives, nothing, and now. And just going through it very quickly, if you're presented with a, um, whether it's a situation or a suggestion from a doctor or a test result, anything that will require you to make a certain decision and you need to tease out, like you said, you had no knowledge, you need to be able to navigate the situation and get more information about it. Bran is a great tool. You can ask the provider. B, benefits. What are the benefits of doing it my way, doing it your way, doing this treatment, doing that treatment, doing something else? What are the risks of all of the previous mentioned things? Are there any alternatives? What happens if we do nothing? And do we have to do it right now? And obviously, all of these lead to much lengthier conversations and follow-up questions that will hopefully help you to get the information that you need and then make a decision, a knowledge-based decision based on that. Um, so I approached my subsequent births with this brand acronym in mind because so many times during your labor, you're going to have a resident or you're going to have a doctor come in and they're going to make a comment. I'll make an example. Oh, you know, you've been in labor already for, you know, many hours and we see you're, you're not really progressing so well. Uh, we'd like to give you some Pitocin. So either you could say, okay, well, you're the doctor, I guess you should give me Pitocin, or you can use this brand method and you can say, okay, well, what are the benefits of doing Pitocin now? And the doctor might say, well, it will speed up your labor and, you know, make things go a little bit faster. Okay. That's a consideration. What are the risks of Pitocin? And there are definitely risks to Pitocin, um, to the baby, not getting into that medically, but I know that there are risks. Uh, what are the alternatives? So the doctor might say, oh, the alternatives, um, are, I guess, to not do Pitocin or to start you on a low dose and see how it goes. Uh, what if we do nothing? And depending on what stage of labor, what hospital, what doctor you're in, that might not be an option at the time. Or the doctor might say, oh, we can do nothing. That's fine. We can have this conversation again in an hour. And the last one, which I feel is the most critical, is the now. Do we have to do this now? Do you need an answer from me right now? Can I think about it? Can I discuss it with my husband? Can I discuss it with my doula? And barring any kind of medical emergency that needs to be urgently dealt with, there's no reason why that delay factor can't be incorporated. And by the way, if there is such an emergency, generally, you're not going to even be having these conversations. They're just going to be immediately dealing with you as someone with a medical emergency. And you'd be surprised how willing uh, practitioners are to have this conversation. But if it's not something that someone told you is in your right to have, 
that you can ask these questions, guess what? You're getting plugged into the Pitocin or whatever medical action the doctor feels is necessary to take at that time. You already signed your life away when you checked into the hospital. So, you know, they're just doing whatever they, they feel unless you are, again, not necessarily getting into an argument, but unless you're having that conversation and saying, well, could we just wait? Could we just wait a little longer? Oh, could we just wait a little longer? And specifically with birthing, um, my experience, and I think the experience of most women has been that if you just let nature take its course, then you will get to the end game of where you need to be. Right. And like this framework also, this brand framework was really helpful for me in determining that I ultimately wanted to go ahead with that scheduled C-section. Right. You You ask it to yourself. You can brand yourself. Right. And like, and I also, and I spoke to the doctor and it was, you know, and basically it was, and it wasn't only that, it was that it was kind of like a really good what are those called? Like prompts, like journaling prompts or question prompts or whatever, that because of those set prompts, it was really helpful for me in having a longer conversation with the doctor that I might not have necessarily known what to ask or known how to go about having it. That And it led to that longer conversation that was like, oh, this is probably going to end in a C-section anyways. So let's right. just skip the drama and get there. Like that right. became, as we became, you know, as we were talking my specific about my specific situation, um, it, it just, it became kind of obvious that like this was, and I, and I also have to say, I appreciated that my doctor allowed me to get to that point at no point. Um, that's not true. It was not until about a week and a half before I gave birth that I was told you are having a C-section, but, but you that, had already made that decision for yourself. Right, like at that point, I was pretty much already decided. And then about a week and a half, it was like, okay, we're done. Fully cooked. Let's go. Room is booked. Meet us here in the middle of the night. And like, I happen to think also, because I have, I have several people that I'm close to that have had scheduled C-sections as opposed to, um, emergency. resulting. I mean, mine wasn't an emergency, but it was like a resulting C-section. I, I'm starting to see that there is a world of a difference between those two. So you might be having the same, you might be having the same surgery, but you are mentally going into it in such a different way that I think that a lot of the C-section, post-C-section factors that were a factor for me are actually not a factor mentally for people who go in knowing that it was a choice and it was scheduled and honestly, probably even the recovery because- Essentially, after my first birth, what I was recovering from was 24 hours of physical labor, attempted vaginal birth, followed by a C-section. So that right. wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't that does not sound fun. We could for yes. sure do this for like another three years, and like we will off the clock. But we do have to end the episode. Um, okay, I, I think- can, so I want to make one. I want to make one more point um, related to the brand thing. And just in general, related to anyone listening to any type of consuming any information or or listening to any type of podcast on this topic with pregnancy and birth, which I can't stress enough, is that every single person's situation is different. Every pregnancy is different. Every birth is different. My examples may not be your examples. My examples may be the opposite of your examples. Um, and I think that's why pregnancy and birth education is so difficult to standardize, normalize, because every woman's body is different. Therefore, everyone's having different experiences. So if, you know, medically somebody is going through, you know, I don't know, they break their arm. There's only so many ways you can break an arm. Everyone has arms, 
right? But right. every woman is going through such a different experience with pregnancy and birth and with their providers and with their experiences and with medications and with limitations to those that it's hard to, you know, have a conversation that includes everybody. And even an individual woman, I've had four pregnancies and births, even an individual woman on every subsequent experience can be different. And my latest birth five years ago was in a different state, obviously with a different provider, a different hospital. Um, I was using brand, but I had to take a different approach to my labor, um, which, you know, frankly involved hiding in the bathroom for 20 minutes until I gave birth because I didn't want to go on the monitors. <laughs> so it's not like what you learn to navigate these situations as you get more savvy and as you have more experiences, but every single experience is, is going to be different. And that's just something to keep in mind for someone who maybe is at the earlier stages of this process, maybe someone's newly married or going through a first or second pregnancy or whatever it is, that you are always going to be learning and you're always going to be learning new things about your body and you're always going to be learning new things about pregnancy and about birth. And just don't be opposed to you know, expanding your horizons, expanding your knowledge about it. Maybe you're listening to this and you're having the same reaction that I had about hypnobirthing initially, which is you're crazy. There's no way that using words and doing visualizations and affirmations and breathing is going to make the pain of labor go away. That sounds crazy. I thought that also, and then I tried it and it wasn't so crazy. <laughs> right. I so, think another thing to also note is that there's no like right way to do this. It's much more about finding what works for you. And, you know, through this like hypnobirthing and taking let's admit it, a little bit of a crunchy granola approach. You've a like that, that's been your, that, that has greatly improved your experience, you know, going forward. And someone like me, I'd probably have a scheduled C-section again. It was kind of great. Like right. every, it's, it's about finding what works for you and, and making that fit into your life and into your choices and, and all of that. Do you want people to like reach out to you and talk to you? Like, do you want to let people know where to find you? I don't mind. You don't I mind? don't know what contact information to provide. I, I feel like a lot of people know where to find me. People don't know where to <laughs> but, find you, darling. Oh, okay, you're right. You are now the much more famous sister, which you're probably proud of. This like, is, I this have, is, I, I have, have so many. sister now. Yeah, yeah, and you know how many years I spent being Charney's sister? Yeah, so now that has Very definitely Very many. Reversed. This is karma at its absolute finest. Um, why don't we just give your Instagram handle and people can message you there. So I'm really not on Instagram too much, but they could definitely try. That's, I think that's the way to go about doing this without actually giving away too much personal information. Sounds like so a plan. On Instagram, Charney is cbar46, C-B-A-R 46. Um, yes. And you can message her there. I'm, and I'm one of those creepy accounts that like doesn't have any posts. Like, just so you know, yes, this is so. true. She doesn't, she is your typical troll. I just use it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a troll. I'm not a troll. You're a is stalker. Is that the name of it? You're like stalker. a lurker. I'm an Instagram stalker. No, I freely consume content on Instagram from people that I enjoy watching and interacting with and messaging with without reciprocating. That's all. That works. You're a lurker. I'm a lurker. You're, I guess you're a, a lurker. lurker. Um, she may or may I'm not. A normal, I'm a normal lurker though. Like I'm not, yeah, a exactly. you're not, not one creepy. of those like, me, not one of those like mean, mean people. That, that is true. Um, she yeah. may or may not answer you. 
Um, and if you message me saying that she didn't answer you, I don't control what she does and doesn't do. So I won't be able to help you there. Don't um, come after me. Do you yeah. have a comment? Um, like how does it work when we can decide to end it here if you want, but how does it work on Spotify or any of these? Like, no, they don't, none there, of them have, you can't them, leave comments on the no. podcast. You can itself? leave reviews on a podcast as a whole, but you can't comment on specific episodes. Interesting. It's actually like a, like a. They should like add that. Like um, oh, they should yeah, but probably that. like mo monitoring that would be a pain Okay, so butt. ask me like an, a conclusion question. Well, the last question that I ask everyone who comes, ask me a conclusion question. Guys, if you had any doubt that this was my older sister, <laughs> that was the most you way. You weren't going to edit that out. What? I'm Now I'm not oh, going to. <laughs> can I say that I've, I've listened to maybe half of one of your podcasts? Maybe? So... I think, right, you ask everyone. Yeah, what does it mean question. to you to make an impact? What does it mean to me to make an impact? So I would hope that doing this podcast and giving people information that, number one, they may not be getting, and number two, may not expect from someone like me, is would make an impact and would you know, just have someone think about if this is something they want to explore and hey, it worked for her. Maybe it could work for me. And that is what I feel would make an impact. Like if someone would say that their pregnancy or birth experience or birth education experience was changed because of something that I said or something that I shared, then I think that would be pretty impactful. Okay, I like it. Thanks for listening. I'm putting Journey's Instagram in the show notes. You're welcome to reach out to her there. It's on her. On last week's episode, I spoke with Dr. Hyalipa Kopernik, a clinical psychologist about mental health care in the Orthodox community. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this episode. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 17 people listed by Aura Agnot as recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getaura.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rivki Squids. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.nyc. One last thing. As you know, over the past couple of weeks, I have teamed up with some fantastic female podcasters to introduce you to some shows that you might not have heard of. I hope that you took the time to listen to those shows, you know, to check them out and see if there was something that you loved. This week is the last one that I'm going to be sharing with you. And she is one of the OG podcasters, definitely in the Orthodox space. Um, it's the Francisca Show. Hi, I'm Francisca, host of the Francisca Show podcast. Would you like to hear stories from your everyday firm person, as well as therapists and other experts about the dynamics of balancing both the Jewish Orthodox and the human experience life? Then check out my show, The Francisca Show Podcast, with over 200 episodes out and a new one every week. You can access entertaining and behind-the-scenes stories where I give a voice to Jewish issues around women's topics, sexuality, halacha, culture, and family. It's the F-R-A-N-C-I-S-K-A Show. See you there.